Now, one of the um, the criticisms I've heard of thing alternative forms of, of exchange is that it's uh, it's not evidence based, or you know, it's a good story, but you know, that's not hard evidence. Um, how do you react to something like that? Well, I think this is something new. I think it's it's yet to be decided. I think you simply have to look at literacy numbers across Canada. I think it's something like twenty two percent or something right. of Canadians have, have low lower functionally no, illiterate. Yeah, functionally illiterate. Right. There's a million people in BC who can't you know read a pill bottle and have any idea of what what it is that they're what it is that they're supposed to be taking or how often or I mean that's an unbelievably huge number. I I just think that our our school system is set up for to address a certain kind of literacy or, or to teach or to teach a certain kind of a child or kid or adult. I don't. I think we're missing uh, a fifth of the population. Right. And how does that specifically relate to to um, Aboriginal populations within BC? Do you think that they're particularly vulnerable because of the, the, the socioeconomic conditions, or I mean, how does how does the comic book and the issues that you're dealing with in the Healthy Aboriginal Network? How are you tackling particular issues for the Aboriginal communities that you that you work with? Well, I, I'm not an expert. I'm not an education expert, but I, I believe that it. I mean, yes, I, I think the Aboriginal kids are leaving school earlier, and and there's. I, I guess there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. Socioeconomic. Um, a lot of the teachers are are um, are not Aboriginal in schools, and so there's. There's, there's that learning block, but, but certainly it's higher. For, there's no question. It is higher, and this yes. is a, this is one way of, of dealing with it. When I was asking people out there, sampling for for people to interview for these podcasts, you were identified as a leader in terms of knowledge exchange. What is leadership within this context? What? How, why do you think you're considered a leader by others? Well, I mean, I, I think <laughs> I think I had one good idea, <laughs> and uh, I managed to you know exploit it and sell it. I think that I've had a good idea, and we're having a good run. And if it fizzles out, well, then maybe I won't be leader. But if we if we have another good idea and we build upon it, then you know maybe maybe there is something to it. In, when you're traveling across the country and you're meeting with other people, what sort of reactions are they getting? Do you see the sparks happening from this idea? You say you have one good idea, but you're 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 talking about that idea in many different places to many different people. What sort of sparks are happening from other people because of that one idea? I find that people who are who are people who are in knowledge transfer or in communications, they get it right away in a lot of cases. I find in a lot of cases that people who are more traditional uh, teachers or health delivery people who have always been in health delivery, they are less likely to get it. And sometimes that occurs at the very top. Those people, some a lot of people are on the ground. They usually get it quite. They get it quite easily as well. They they can see the need for it. Yeah. What is it that they're not getting? Is it a threat to their way of well, looking at it? Or a, that's a very good point. Uh, I think that partially it's a threat because maybe uh, I've known with some people, especially in suicide prevention, uh, because it wasn't their idea. Right. Sometimes they, that's perceived to be well. Well, no, okay, we're not doing that because I don't know if it's in the back of their mind or the forefront or what. Well, okay. Well, there's there's a really good example of bringing up stovepipes and silos. And I remember um, I used to rail against silos, saying that they were bad. But in fact, silos are pretty good tools, right? You put grain in it, you allow it to mature, but you have to get the the stuff out of the silo, mm. out into the marketplace. Yeah. And so um, I think that within departments and within agencies, there's lots of transactional leadership. Is that around a particular area of, of work or study? There's lots of good leadership around that particular. That particular area, but not necessarily across that kind of transformational, that integrated kind of leadership. And um, 
part of what I've seen with what you're trying to do is you're moving across a whole se different series. What are some of the challenges of trying to transform a way of, of looking at, at health promotion or looking at issues? How, how difficult is it to change, to change those minds of the tr more traditional practices? Well, I'd say it's going to be tremendously difficult. You know, people say that changing government, you know, it, it takes it takes eons. Uh, just because people, I see some people who go into government and they're and they're young and they're buoyant and they're excited, and they just get ground down by the system because things sort of plod along, in, in, in the way that government does. I think it's going to take. A, I think it's going to take a long time. I think there's going to be a few, a few visionaries who get on board and try to make some changes, but I think it's going to be a good long while yet before there's any real changes in the way we teach youth or in the way we interact with youth, the way we do knowledge transfer, for do sure. See, do you see it coming? Oh, I see it coming, sure. Okay. Maybe you can talk a little bit about, about that because, I mean, you're using comic books as a, as, a, as a method of knowledge exchange and knowledge transfer right now, and it's a, it's a good tool, you know? It's, it's portable, you can repeat it over and over again, it's visually appealing, but you've also been playing with video mm -hmm. and, and using things that are more animated. Um, where, what do you see the, the future of what, what you're doing in terms of knowledge transfer in dealing with the issues that you're dealing with? It's a good question. I'm not, I'm not sure where, where education is going to go or health is going to go. I, certainly, if you look at any science fiction movie, everything is going to be computer-based or it's going to be monitor-based or it's going to be wireless-based. I think that... Uh, I'm not sure whether that's a better way to teach kids or are we dumbing things down? You know, but we yes, we are doing. It started off as a comic book idea. Right. We created the comic book. Then we decided to create an animated short. So we, we sort of layered on top of that, stressing a different kind of literacy than than you know than reading. Because an evaluation hasn't been done yet, I, I think that's part of the reason why we haven't had as much buy-in as we'd like. I think if we had some cold hard facts, I think there'd be a lot more buy-in. So so at this point, it's it. I mean, you're really on the cutting edge of doing something in Canada, and so you know there's that. And it's hard to be an innovator, right? Yeah. You, you actually have to make mistakes, and other people learn from them, and, and we can move on from there. But my sense is that you know the kind of kind of uptake that you've had with this comic book and the interest from other places is that this is this is growing. Maybe there's not the infrastructure in place or the incentives in place. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. That if if you were to start this again, what sort of infrastructure would you like to see in place, or what sort of incentives would you like to have that would draw you in? You said that the first thing you do is you look for some money, but clearly there's not enough resources currently in place. What would it take for people to engage in more creative forms of knowledge exchange? I think if I had to do it again, I, I don't know that I could do it any differently than I did. The first comic uh, got funded for $10,000, but it cost us thirty. So it was, um, it was a ton of volunteer input and borrowed from other projects, ran up our um, credit limit. It was, it was really difficult. I, I, I couldn't say, well, I'm not gonna, we're going to put out the comment, but we're going to wait you know, for evaluation money. Well, I, I think we really had to, we had to, to create the, the resource first. And that's what started the buzz. That's what got people thinking. That's what really started everything. I don't think I could have done it any differently. It was. Could you see your efforts with the, with the, uh, the comic book and say a researcher in a university like University of Victoria or here in Vancouver, uh, University of British Columbia or Simon Fraser University, could you see partnering with, with them right at the beginning of the project in order to, to build in that evaluation process as you're actually doing it? On a new project, absolutely. On a new project? Yeah, for sure. Okay. And is that something that you would want to see supported? I would love to see that supported. I guess um, the one difficulty that we'd have is uh, it depends who the audience is. If it's a First Nations audience or an Aboriginal youth audience, I think that it's really better to have 
uh, an Aboriginal First Nations research group involved, and then the, and then and that's a whole sticky mess as well. Uh, then you're talking about like who retains who retains the you know the copyright to the information, how is data shared, who are the community-based researchers. Uh, it gets a bit sticky when you start in involving First Nations communities because they've been burned so many times before. They want a stake, and, right. and rightly so. So how do you ensure good practice? How do you ensure that they, they get the stake that, that, that they want right up front? I think if it's for an Aboriginal youth audience, I think that you have to use an Aboriginal youth research group right from the start. If, you, if someone like UVic or UBC wants to get involved, I think we'd, we'd do something for the, for the, for the general population. I think that would be more appropriate. No, I mean, that, that kind of sensitivity, I think, is really important. You know, you've talked a little bit about, about your challenges, but what do you anticipate to be the greatest rewards? Let's talk, let's, you've talked a little bit about what you hope that comes out of the use of these comic books, that, you know, that suicide is reduced, that obesity is reduced, that kids stay in school. Do you see that happening? Well, I think it's too early yet, and I, and I don't think we'll know. I, have, I mean, I haven't received any phone calls or emails from someone saying my kid stayed in school or my, my son, you know, or, or from someone who said, I, I didn't commit suicide because of your comic, and, and I don't expect that ever will happen. I've always had um, quite low expectations for the project that if it, which I think is, yeah, which I, I think is appropriate. I mean, if, 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 if over the course of five years or ten years, however long, one, one person didn't, didn't commit suicide, and I don't even have to know about. It. They didn't have to call me. If they just, in their own minds, decided, well, I'm going to stick it out another day. I'm going to stick it out another day. I'm going to believe in myself, and I'm I'm not gonna. I'm going to see it through. Hundreds of hours, tens of thousands of dollars, or hundreds of thousands of dollars, whatever it is, I think it's worth it. Okay. The same thing as diabetes. And what's the cost to a family, uh, you know, or, or to the government on, on the cost of diabetes or FASD, suicide? If someone suicide kills themselves. There's a cost, not only to that family and to society, but there's there's a cost to that. The police, the investigation, the uh, if there's an attempt, you know, being in the hospital center, you know, psychiatrists. There's a cost associated with everything. So I, I think that from a purely financial point of view, purely financial point of view, there's benefits. Do you see that the, the work that you're doing, even if it's in a small part, if it's not if you can't directly attribute it to a complex problem like suicide? that it's perhaps increasing the, you mentioned the self-esteem of, mm. of youth, that it's overall, if it's not necessarily reducing mortality, that it's increasing the quality of life for, for a certain number of people. Do you see that as, a, as perhaps a, a positive effect of engaging in this type of work? Absolutely. And I fully anticipate that that's happening. But again, if we don't measure it... That's hard to measure. Yeah, it's hard to measure. Okay. And that's really the key, is how do, we, how, how do we go to the next level? How do we get this funded? How does this become an industry... Not for profit industry, I don't mean that, but it's how does this become part of the protocols of, of, of teaching youth? I know it's hard to predict the future, and you know, most crystal balls are pretty cloudy, and if I could actually, but where do you see the, the nature of knowledge exchange going? Do you, do, do you see it becoming increasingly visual, increasingly on demand, but increasingly alternative? That text is not necessarily the way that people are going to get the information that they need? I hope so. Um, I, I think you know. I think most people should finally know by now that the brochures and, and pamphlets don't work. Third health professionals don't read them. I don't read them. You know, and I'm, I'm educated and I'm interested and I don't read them. So for people who are or visual learners or have low literacy, they, they are certainly not. And I, and I believe that the, uh, the stat is that the people with low literacy have, have generally a lower 
are less healthy. Health desires in terms of, of increasing the learning within the communities that you, you look at and facilitating that process over the longer term. I'd like to see people start thinking more, I guess, out of the box. Um, um, the way, the best way to describe it, I think, for me personally, is I'm not from the medical profession. I'm not from the education profession. I came from the business world. Everything that I, that I do now is through an, a new set of eyes. Whereas people who are in education, who are in profession, or, who are who are in medical, they've done that right from you know day one or, or or their second or third or fourth year of university, and I think it's much harder to see what's going on outside when your own when you're concentrating mostly on what's going on in your own job day to day. I think people have people in health and education have got blinders on in a lot of cases. And so perhaps organizations like CCL can help introduce people to those that they wouldn't necessarily see, yeah. that it's in that interaction that maybe some new value can come out. Yeah. Sean, it's been a real pleasure talking to you as always. Thank you. All right. Thanks very much. No trouble.